This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. Um, and as it's the first Friday of April, it is a speaker's meeting, and we are blessed with Tina as our speaker tonight. Thank you, Louise. My name's Tina. I'm an addictive eater. Hi, Tina. Um, I have really no idea where to start. Uh, I do know that as a child, and even in my adult years, until I came to the 12-step fellowship, um, I was not, oh, I was not a, um, I was out of sorts with the world, or the world was out of sorts with me. I'm never quite sure which. I know that I was a liar, I was a thief, I was a cheat, um, I was a pretender. I um, had terrible rages inside of me where I wanted to kill, and that all from a very young age. Those are my earliest memories. I can remember my mother saying to me, um, she said, when, I, when you first started school, and this was prior to kindergarten, because in Hong Kong one starts school very early, she said, you were a totally different child. She said, um, the teachers always put the new kids with you because you made them feel so welcome. She said, but once you started kindergarten at Diocesans, everything changed. You changed. And I can remember being in kindergarten at Diocesans. And it, I was just the class misfit. Um, I didn't have any friends. We were all made, um, all of us in turn, were made um, head girl of that class for the week where we had to maintain order. And I remember one day um, after lunch, prior to the teacher coming to the classroom, there I was with a popsicle <laughs> in my hand. And the kids were all pointing accusingly at me, you shouldn't be doing this. And of course, when the teacher came in, um, they told the teacher and I got told off and um, I was demoted as head girl for the week. Uh, and that's what it was like in, in kindergarten for me. I just never fitted in. And that continued, as I say, until I came to a 12-step fellowship. I've always felt different from others, never fitted in anywhere. I used to find myself when I 
went to parties, I used to find myself in tears because really those were the times that I really felt the loneliness. I really felt alone. I was an only child, mother had to work, and so from quite an early age, I was on my own when I got home. And I'm really blessed my mother for that because it taught me how to occupy my time so that I was never at a loss as to what to do. I was never bored. And besides which, um, I was always a bookworm. So as long as I had my books, my ball and my skipping rope, I was happy. Um, <clears throat> When I used to, um, I had f a friend or two here and there, but I was never in a group of friends, ever. Not that I can recall. Um, I did used to play, when I was in primary school, I did used to play with some kids that were in a class um, one year younger than I was. And I remember some of my classmates feeling that that was rather undignified <laughs> to be hobnobbing with kids younger than me. But I paid no mind because at least I had somebody to play with then. And it was quite enjoyable. Um, but I almost got expelled from boarding school because I couldn't keep my hands off um, other people's food. And I remember at night being awake, everybody else would be asleep and I would be going around the lockers to see what I could find to eat. And the only friend I had was called Poppy. And Poppy was just as much a misfit as I was. So both her and I, um, you know, uh, got together, as it were. We were in different, and she was in, a, in the forms. I think she was in form one when I was in primary five. But anyway, so her and I were together a lot of the time after school. Well, it's the only one, you know, nobody wanted to play with her either, so her and I were just together. At least there was somebody to muck around with. But honestly, it used to really annoy me at times because there are some people in life which seem to get away with things, no matter what they do. And Poppy was one of those. It was really annoying because, you know, we'd be doing, I can remember there used to be a silk tree um, at, or mulberry tree and to get to the leaves you had to climb up the school wall and walk along and get the mulberry leaves. Well I was always terrified of heights but she finally managed to get me up onto the wall and I sat there sort of a bit shaky while she walked along the wall and got the mulberry leaves. Well, the teacher came around and caught us, didn't she? I was the one that got into trouble. I don't know what happened with Poppy, but she didn't get into trouble. I was the one. 
Oh dear. <laughs> so in that respect, I couldn't stand her. But as I say, she was the only one. So we were really stuck with each other. Um, and then there was Vera. And our parents knew each other, and that's how I met Vera, because we were in different schools at the time. But anyway, I changed schools. Mother put me in the same school as Vera, and her and I um, met up and got together and got along really well. Um, but every so often, I would get really tired of just her and I, and I'd say to her something like, you know, we, we're together an awful lot of the time that maybe, you know, we need a break from each other. She'd be off, no problem. She'd be off with friends, playing around, and I would wander the school on my own. No one to talk to, no one to play with. It was, <laughs> it was really a lonely time until, you know, I approach her and we get back together again. Um, and during, you know, all these years, the food, I just could not leave the food alone. As I say, I just stole people's food when I could. Even, you know, I mean, Mother and I used to spend the night at Auntie Anne's or, and I remember staying with Auntie Rita for the summer holidays one year. And she had a bottle of, it wasn't Ribena, but it was some sort of, I think it was a black currant. And I remember I used to sneak the black currant and I would pour water in it to bring the level up so it would look as though nothing had been taken. Anyway, her arm had caught me at it one day and she told Auntie Rita, and I swore blind I hadn't done it. Absolutely swore blind. And apparently Auntie Rita said to mother, she said, I really wanted to slap her. <laughs> but she didn't, I was lucky then. But you know, I didn't do that again. But all through my life, even my adult years, um, right through, always stealing food, always stealing, not just the food, but other things, because I just couldn't keep my hands off other people's belongings. And I was never clever with it. I always got caught out, but it never stopped me from doing it. There was never the memory of the past that said, hold on, remember what happened. Remember when you got caught out the last time? Never. When I had um, Sharon, it made no difference. Um, you know, I preached morality to her without being moral myself. I think the only thing I really did do was imbue her with good manners. <laughs> but, you know, even, even when I caught her one day, she came out of the, we came out of the four square shop and she, was, she had something in her mouth. And I said to her, what have you got in your mouth? Open your mouth. And when she opened her mouth, out came the smell of banana. It was some sort of sweet that tasted like bananas. Anyway, I stopped her right there and then. 
And I gave her the money for it and I said, go back in the shop, give the money to the girl and say you're sorry. And she started to cry and she didn't want to do it. I said, Sharon, we will, uh, we will stay here until you do it. And I literally meant it. You know, and I think back to that, I think, what a hypocrite, because I was doing the same thing. Yeah, I was still stealing. And here am I, preaching honesty. <laughs> anyway, she did eventually go in, still crying. But, um, you know, it nipped it in the bud. As far as I know, she never did that again. Um, when I was 17, I had my first drink, my first real drink. And things turned around for me. That first drink was incredible because it did something for me that food had never been able to do. For the first time in my life, I felt the same as everybody else. You know, I interacted with them. I spoke, I laughed. We had a wonderful time. And, you know, the next day I was back to the old teenager, introverted, wouldn't say boo to a goose. And so, you know, I didn't, I hated the taste of what I'd had the day before, the night before, I should say. But by golly, I couldn't wait to feel that way again. I couldn't wait to feel connected to others. It didn't last very long, but while it lasted, it was wonderful. Um, the last six months of my eating, because I thought I had a weight problem for many, many years, the last six months of my eating was sheer hell because I was all dieted out. I'd been to all these different diet clubs and nothing had ever worked, not long term. I never got down to what they called goal weight ever because sooner or later I'd be eating again. Um, and as I say, the last six months of my eating, I was all dieted out. I couldn't do it anymore. And I knew I had to do something, but what? So anyway, I thought, right, <clears throat> I'll buy three bags of food. That's what I'll do. And once I've finished that, I'll do something about it. So I bought three supermarket bags of chocolates, crisps, ice cream, everything you can think of. And I came home with it, <clears throat> and before I'd even finished it, I was back at the supermarket buying another three bags. And I remember each time I would walk down the hallway to the kitchen with these bags. Oh my God, I'd forgotten. I remembered. Yes, that's right. I was going to do something when I finished that lot of food. Oh God. Right, well, I, I'll finish this now and then I'll do something about it and the same thing would happen I'd get toward the end go down buy another three bags it was always three bags never anymore by that time too um, on a Friday um, I used to hit the shops and my first port of call was the Sydenham Bakery and the supermarket there and then I would take all my goodies 
down to South City. And they, and I have been there for years, but they used to have a semicircle of fast food places. And I would make the rounds. And by the time I finished with those fast food places, I would have between 15 and 20 containers full of food. Never for me. You know, we were renovating the house and therefore I was buying all this food for all the workers there and the family. I was living alone at that time too. <laughs> and then I would take a taxi home and I would get into the house and by that time I would be shaking. I would feel nauseous. I was in, having cold sweats and I would get into the kitchen and I would cram, literally cram the food down my throat as quickly as I could until I was popped, um, topped up to a certain level when I could stop, you know, when I would stop shaking and I would start to feel better. So that was my life. I didn't answer the door. I didn't answer the telephone. Not that either went very often at all. Um, the only time I went out was to go to work. I had to earn money to buy the food. So I was literally a prisoner in my own home. Even going out to the letterbox had become a problem. My mother's last letter to me, I didn't open for three months because every time I went to open it, the fear would hit me. And when I finally did, it was just a letter from a mother to her daughter. That's all it was. But I was so paranoid. I was invited to a workmate's 50th birthday. And there I met this lady who had bought um, a franchise for Diet Clinic. And she asked me, how I was, and for the first time, I verbalized it. And I said to her, Kate, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't seem to stop eating. And she said, well, Tina, maybe you need more specialized help. And she mentioned this 12-step fellowship that she had a friend who'd been going for many, many years. And she took my number. She said she'd ring me and come and have a talk. And I felt this incredible relief. Something was going to happen when nothing did, because she didn't ring. And I was on my high horse. I was angry, I was resentful, and I thought to myself, she doesn't care. Nobody cares. If she cared, she'd be ringing me. Well, I'm not going to ring her. And I didn't. And I ate for two more months, but at the end of those months, I'd had enough. And I made the effort to get in contact with her. And I wasn't gracious about it at all, because when she answered, I said, thank you for ringing me. And of course, she felt awful about it. But anyway, that very same evening, her friend rang me, and she came and saw me on Saturday and sat down with me and told me her story. I don't remember anything she said. I remember her talking about her lying and her stealing that she used to do. And it wasn't like that for her anymore, but it was still like that for me. 
and she offered, she said she was going to a meeting on Monday, would I like to come? And I said, yes, yes. Anyway, I didn't know what to expect. My idea was I was going to secrete myself into the deepest, darkest corner that I could and um, just listen. And I walk into a room, everybody's in a circle, sitting in a circle, there's nowhere to hide. But I sat opposite the door and I watched people come through that door and everybody was slim. I remember Robin from my first meeting. I remember walking in and I immediately zeroed in on Robin. I thought she looks like a pixie. I, said, I thought, I wonder if she's got green eyes because people who are, you know, who are related to the pixie folk have green eyes. <laughs> anyway, um, after the meeting, I remember Robin saying that she believed that nobody walked through those doors by mistake. And I said to the lady that had taken me, what do I do now? And she said, just go to the meetings. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't know why I was going. I had no idea what this 12-step fellowship was all about, but I went to every single meeting that there was. And eventually, I asked this lady if she would sponsor me, and she said, yes, she would, providing I not argue with her because she didn't have time to waste on somebody that was going to argue. And I didn't argue. Um, so I started ringing her on a daily basis, and I do believe, you know, that my sponsor saved my life. I mean, I know that I was told to pray every day to God for the strength not to pick the first one up and in the evening to thank him. I was told this is when I was going to have my meals. I was told to read the big book, pages 86, 87, every morning. And I remember saying, every morning. I thought she was mad. Um, but I didn't say it. I didn't say anything. I just did it every day. And I don't know for how long I did it. I think it was years that I read the same thing. I could even recite it verbatim. Didn't need to read the book. But gradually, over a period of time, you know, God was able to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, and gradually, I started to change. You know, it, it is amazing to me. I, I mean, the I think the first inkling I had of it was when I was making my amends, and there was one amends I did not want to make. Oh my God, she was an awful lady. Oh God, the hell she put me through. You know, why should I make amends to her? But anyway, I happened across her at the supermarket and she was heading toward the checkout. And I remember going over to her and asking her whether she could wait for me, um, that I needed to talk to her about something. And she did. And I went over to her and I, I spoke to her about what I had done. I can't remember what I said, but my God, she was, I mean, she was totally different from the lady that I had known. 
And I remember rushing home and ringing my sponsor and saying, she was so different. I couldn't get over how different she was. And I remember my sponsor laughing and saying, she said, I think it's you that's different, not her. But, you know, that, I think that was the first it, sort of, I don't know, um, realization. I know that today I am no longer the person that I used to be. I might have something different to say about that. But um, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not the same person I used to be. I no longer feel different from other people. I just don't. It, it just doesn't occur to me. Whether or not it's another person with a disease of addiction um, or not, it doesn't matter. I just seem to fit in. And it's lovely today to have this power, this conscious contact with a power greater than myself that can do for me what I can't do, which is really everything. It's not just about the food or the drink or drugs or medication or anything like that. It's the whole kit and caboodle that I can turn to God for help, 